Welcome to the Future of Australia podcast, where your host, Derek Stewart, interviews the entrepreneurs and founders running the 100 fastest growing new businesses in Australia. On episode 41, I interview Colm Dolan, the CEO and founder of PubLift. We discuss how he landed the dream graduate job at Google, growing up in Ireland, which enabled him to spend a year working in the USA at Google, meeting the CEO and being in the centre of the tech world in Silicon Valley. The ups and downs of leaving Google, which made his mum cry for days, and working at a startup which failed, causing a big blow to his self-confidence. Why the inability to find a new job after those setbacks actually led him to his next opportunity, founding Publift, a publisher-focused online consulting business. Hear how he grew his business to do over $13 million in annual revenue, growing 141% last financial year, making Publift the 14th fastest-growing new business in Australia. If you are an online publisher, AdSense publisher, independent publisher, or app publisher, and you want to grow your business and keep your users happy, check out publift.com. That's P-U-B. L-I-F-T dot com. So I'm here with Colm Dolan, the CEO and founder of Publift. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Derek. Thanks for having me on. That's all right. So can you tell us what were you doing before you started Publift? What did you study? What type of uh, companies were you working in? What roles? Sure, yeah. So I studied information technology uh, back in Ireland. And after that, I studied a master's in business studies and I first started actually working for Coca-Cola. I did that for six months and really um, where I really started was working at Google. So I worked in in Google in Ireland. So they've got a European headquarters there. So basically went in as a graduate, spent four years working there and also spent a year in the United States as well. So I probably learned an awful lot from, from working at Google. And then I worked, came over and worked in uh, Australia. So I worked at Telstra and then I worked in a startup called Rollup Media. So um, with Rollup Media, the startup actually didn't go that well. So after about a year, I had to liquidate the business. And at that time, I was really, uh, after coming from Google, I was really wanted to work for a startup. And Rollup was was very good because it ticked that, that box, but it was I didn't realize how hard it was and the product we were selling, I couldn't really sell that well and really made a, a bit of a hash of it. We didn't get Series B around funding and most of the investment was coming from, from the UK. So at that point, I suppose I was really low on confidence and I grappled with going to another startup or maybe going back into the nice cushion environment that is Facebook, Google, Twitter, one of those um, mm. tech companies. And I actually applied back to, to Facebook, to Twitter. I think I did a few interviews for, for those, but I was so low on confidence. I just couldn't get any jobs. And I, I knew what I wanted. I wanted to work in, in programmatic. I wanted to work within tech, but I didn't want to do direct selling to agency. I'd worked for about eight months in, with Telstra selling directly and didn't really like working directly with with agencies to be honest so i knew exactly what i wanted but honestly derek i, I couldn't get a job i had mm. previously in, in roll up media i think my 
confidence just diminished in terms of, of sales. So at that point, I always had in the back of my mind of, of starting a business and starting a maybe consultancy to, to help publishers because one of the biggest problems I had as a Google account manager was I'd give advice to publishers to roll out tech, new technology that would help increase their revenue, but they could never get it implemented because they didn't have the expertise or the, the resources to, to do that. So thinking I couldn't get a job, I, I said maybe now is the best time to, to start a business. So um, yeah, I just took the plunge and got one client and then met a few other people in the industry and, and got a couple of more clients and then it kind of snowballed from there really but it, it wasn't a, a really well thought out idea or anything like that it was just um, I needed a job and I needed to do something and I couldn't uh, get anything else that I wanted to so it, it kind of just rolled into it. Yeah and you had a sort of dream run to start with you know you, you go to uni you do a course you're interested in and then you get the, the so I guess the tech dream which is a grad job at Google what was that process like getting that grad job was it that was your number one preference or was it just obviously the the biggest sort of game in town and was it hard was it luck what was that sort of um, that process and that journey getting that grad job straight out of Google which I'm sure your your friends and colleagues and classmates would have been very sort of jealous of at the time right? Yeah, it was, and it was, it was a really good chat-up line when I was out um, on nights out in Dublin as well. <laughs> so it was, yeah, I, I think it was it was interesting because I was, there was a, a friend of mine was going out with a guy at, at Google, and he said, oh, you should work at Google and, and just give me a, a reference, or I applied for a job through his recommendation. And I actually lied on my uh, resume because you needed a, a 2-1 degree at the time for, for Google to get in there. So I had a 2-2 degree, an honors degree, but not a 2-1. So I lied on that and I, I got through. And at that time, it was a lot harder to get in as well. You had to do a whole HTML project, even though I was going for an account management sales job. So that took me a lot of time and I had to go back to some of my programming friends to... Um, write out a bit of html which i wasn't too good at so it was it was a quite a hard process to get in there and i remember there was five or six or seven interviews and even before i actually got the job they questioned the um the degree that i got and i kind of was able to talk my way out of it and uh, and i got the role and got the job so yeah it was it was incredible uh, really good things to say about google i remember after about six months i went over to the us and i was in the Fairmont Hotel in San Francisco, uh, wearing a robe, thinking I had I had met it. So it was, <laughs> uh, I had far from met it, but it was definitely um, fun times there as well, yeah. And, and so you were studying IT, but you weren't uh, super sort of technical yourself, like you said, in sort of account management or, or, or technical IT, but not in the sort of uh, software development side of things? Yeah, I suppose when I went to university, I think at the time, you know, I, I just wanted to work on, computers in some capacity so i went down to, to limerick university of limerick which is highly regarded tech uh, university but I, I quickly realized that i didn't really like programming so in, in my first year I, I i hated programming really to be honest with you but i built up such good friends and such good relationships and was having such a good time that i didn't want to drop out of college uh, mm. i always thought after that my path was going down a business degree 
Um, so, so after I, I just about scraped a degree in, in IT, I, I went and did a master's in business and I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed the marketing side of things and, and the strategy in business really. Yeah, and then so you get into Google and, and so you're an account manager. So can you talk us through what that sort of involved on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so I worked on the AdWords side of things, first of all. So it, it really involved, I was a, a relationship manager. So I sat in a pod of three people. So there was a relationship manager, there was a, a troubleshooter, and there was also an optimizer. So my main goal was to talk to clients, find out about their businesses and upsell them on new optimizations or, or new products. So yeah, that, that was the main focus on my role in AdWords, but then I switched to the other side, which is the publisher side. So AdWords is, is basically the, um, when, when you search, search on google.com and you search for um, sneakers or something like that, you will see the ads on the right-hand side. So that's basically AdWords, the big cash cow that Google make money from. But I got a bit bored of that because I think you deal a lot with uh, middle management on the advertiser side. You work with maybe a marketing manager and it's the same kind of process. That a lot of, and, and AdWords just maybe got a bit uh, boring, I would say. So I moved over to the publisher side, which I found a lot more interesting. So the publisher side is, is basically editorial sites like, you know, Sydney Morning Herald or mm-hmm. any of these kind of content-driven websites. So you're working with these publishers and they make money in lots of different ways, which is a bit more more interesting. And then you've got, uh, now you've got a lot of apps that make money, gaming apps, true, um, and, and they would be defined as publishers as well. So when I moved over to that team, that was a lot smaller. So you, you, you basically did a, a, a lot of all the work. You did the troubleshooting, you did the relationship, and they're using technology a bit more and you're finding out a bit more about how these type of publishers grow their businesses, grow their traffic, do marketing. So I, I definitely found it very, very interesting and still to, to this day working in that environment, find it absolutely fascinating and very interesting to see how, uh, especially the small business owners uh, make money and continue to evolve and be entrepreneurial. Yeah, and a lot of people obviously never see inside sort of the black box that's Google. So it must have been very interesting being on the inside. And obviously, you don't have visibility over everything, but just seeing a lot of things, uh, which, you know, is such a big part of so many businesses and so many consumers' lives and being inside that machine and helping to help the clients versus just sort of being on the outside and, and as a consumer, I suppose. Yeah, I suppose looking back, I was a young kid when I was there at the time. So I was just uh, riding a wave and, and having a good time. and wasn't really thinking too much uh, about anything else. But yeah, it was it was quite cool. I used to love going to the conferences and seeing the, the product updates and seeing, um, you know, the founders of, of Google present up there and, and, and kind of talk to Eric Schmidt and one um one night and a few things like that it was pretty cool seeing all that kind of stuff and i think especially when i did work in mountain view and the headquarters i worked there for a year and that was quite cool to see everything that the way things work there and how is that comparison between the the sort of the uh, entity headquarters in ireland and then the sort of i guess the real product and people headquarters in um in, in the us being in a much bigger team i imagine a lot closer to sort of or other parts of the business um, versus, I imagine, a smaller team in Ireland. How did that sort of compare within the same company, Google, but, but being in those different geographies? Yeah, you could just get so much 
things done quicker because you had direct access to product. Product was mainly built out of the US. I think um, in Ireland, it was often referred to as a factory shop or a sweatshop <laughs> because um, it was the, the bulk of a lot of the work was, was done in Ireland and a lot of the, the revenue flowed through there. But if the main decision making anything like that was, was made in the US. So you really felt at the center of it. And I think also when you're in Silicon Valley, uh, like I look back from my time in America and watched, I don't know if you watched that show, Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, I have. Um, I have. Very funny yeah, show. Yeah, it, very funny show. But it's, it's very, so similar to what it was like over there. <laughs> you know, it's, it's really, really, they've done it really, really well. And I think at the time when, when I was a bit younger, I was probably wasn't as interested in the startup scene. And maybe I was, I was, having lunch with people from work and maybe I just wanted to talk about football or something like that, but they wanted to talk about the latest startup and hmm. how to make money. And I think it's a bit more capitalistic over in the U S as well. Hmm. So in Australia here, it's definitely a bit more chilled out, which I, I, I kind of like, you know? Yeah. And so did you have an opportunity to continue living and working in the U S or was it like a, you know, one year secondment or how did you go from there to Australia? I continued there, but I, uh, to be honest with you, I just got a bit delusioned with the, the life over there. In America, is you know, it's it's very much who you are and where you work and um, where you went to school, and and it's just the culture is evolved around work, you know, and it wasn't really um, for me. You know, I have a lot of interests outside of work. I have a lot of interests in, in life, and and for me, in, in my experience, it. It, it it didn't have that hold that I wanted to maybe, um, you know, meet someone there, start a family there. Mm. It wasn't the place that I maybe wanted to, to live personally. And um, yeah, so that probably drove my decision. Also, a lot of my friends were, were living in, in Bondi Beach in Sydney and having <laughs> a good time. So I, I think that swayed my decision as well. And I think I was just a bit sick of the the corporate lifestyle as well mm -hmm. i think when you work in and um, four four and a half years at at google and that's all you know you you just maybe want to go do something else and, and i don't think it was anything because google was an awesome place to work and um, but i think you just want to test yourselves in, in different environments and that's I suppose what i've done and especially when i started working with roll up media and it was a very big test and it was like i failed that one for sure and so it was just evolving i would say and so what did sort of friends family colleagues think when you said you're leaving you've been there for a couple of years you go from ireland to sort of again the mecca of tech google and then geographically silicon valley um did people say you're crazy you're leaving this you, you'll sort of you'll never find anything as good or, or was there a common sort of yeah you get you do your time you build up experience it's great but then you sort of you go on to something else what were the the reactions of the people close to you at the time when you said you were leaving yeah, I think my mother cried for three days. So uh, she still asked me, when am I getting a job back at Google or can I get a job back at Google? So, yeah, I think everyone, um, and I think the natural environment in Ireland or natural thought process is really that you should stay with a, a job, a secure job. Like, you know, if you get a job in the civil service, you should stay there all your life. And that's the kind of, methodology but uh, the, the world has, has changed over the last while and I think it was hard especially for maybe my parents or uh, older people like that to grasp that there is more opportunity out there and um, so so yeah and I think we're 
in Ireland it's, it's evolved a bit more now but I think um, previously there has been that stay with with the job you're in which um, is okay sometimes but I, I definitely and I, I suppose I was the kind of person that at that time in my life I was probably a bit just hard to deal with I was maybe hard to manage or something like that I, I, I kind of um, if, if things weren't as they were I would uh, disrupt and, and say that, that things shouldn't be built in this way or, or things like that and I just probably needed to go off doing something um, something else really yeah no absolutely and then so obviously you, you went into a startup so was that your startup roll-up or you were sort of an early employee at that first I was an early employee. It was based out of the UK, and mm-hmm. uh, there was actually a previous uh, person I knew, acquaintance I knew from Google, uh, was one of the, the starting members of, of the team as well. So uh, yeah, I was just one of the one of the early employees, and um, we we were selling um, a, a band of publishers to to advertising agencies. Yeah, so it 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 didn't really take off that well, and I'm I'm. I could blame the product, but I don't think it was totally the product. I think it was definitely me. And, and how was that experience? You go from Google, you know, this monolith, um, money printing machine, just, you know, huge, obviously, market dominance and control and, and history um, to a small startup. And obviously, you know, I'm sure you had a lot of confidence at Google. You're going in, anyone you call, you know, they know your product, the customer's using your product. You don't even have to justify it. It's sort of like oxygen. Um, and then you go to a small startup and you realize it hasn't got the brand, it hasn't got the product, maybe the customers are skeptical. What was, at a personal level, what was that sort of shift like um, going from that Google to a to roll up? Very tough. Yeah, very tough. I, I, I had a stint at Telstra for eight months before that, selling AFL and NRL to advertising agencies. And that was, it, it was still tough enough, but it was, it was okay because you had a bit of a brand behind you. But yeah, it was incredibly tough and yeah, very, very tough. And I think that's the one thing when you, you when you call and you say you're from Google, people will talk to you mm. and they'll talk to you all day long. They'll just be delighted to get a call from Google. But yeah, with any of the other startups I've, I've had it's, or worked in, it's it's been very tough. Yeah, and then so you've started Publift as a consultancy and again, like come from the big success of Google to a bit of a humbling, I guess, um, uh, learning lesson and roll up and then you've started Publift. What was that first 12 months like starting on your own? Obviously, so you've got a bit more power and decision making versus in someone else's startup, but obviously you're responsible for the the success and or the failure. So what was that first 12 months like at Publift? Yeah, it was, it was very tough. You know, I think financially it was pretty tough. Max our credit card. I, I, I was living with my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, and we took on a lodger. And it was it was tough in that. I was working out of the, the sitting room. And but it was it was highs and lows, but it was exciting. It was exciting. Mm. And I knew that I knew the space. Like that's the, the key thing between the 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 roll up media and, and published is that I knew publishers i knew the the tech from from google and i was passionate about an offering and i suppose there was a there was a problem and i wanted to fix it and when you have that kind of desire it's it's all encompassing and and you just want to 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 fix it so it it, the the programmatic area was something i knew about and having worked in Europe and, and US, I probably had a lot of experience that 
just wasn't there as much in, in Australia. And I think where I went about it was from a partner agnostic approach. So my main goal for, for publishers was make the most money possible. And I didn't really mind where they got it from. Was it from Google or was it from Rubicon or any other SSP? So I think going in with that philosophy and at the time, there was a lot of publishers that maybe had good relationships with one partner. And that meant that they were getting most of the revenue from that partner. So I just came in and disrupted it a bit and said, no, well, that's not what you should do because you can make more revenue the, excuse me, the other way. But it was, um, there was a lot of highs and lows and it was a lot of very hard to get your name out there. But I think once you get one client and then you get two clients and I had three clients for about three to six months, I think. So mm. it wasn't as if it was, um, <laughs> Yeah, and I think I, I struggled as well sometimes because it, technology was evolving and that's when I um, convinced my, my co-founder, uh, Tobin Page, to, to come out a year later because I knew he had the skills and expertise that was needed. To, to I knew the opportunity was there, but it just needed needed more from someone like him to take it to the next level. Yeah, and so obviously you did hit your stride, built up momentum, growing 141% last financial year and getting revenue above $13 million a year, making one of the fastest growing new businesses in Australia. So like you said, it started hard, it started slow, then you've hit this rapid growth moment, um, which I guess is both uh, really inspiring and also really scary. So what was the good and bad of that sort of rapid growth experience? Yeah, I suppose it's it's... What was the good and bad? It's an interesting question. The good was it validated uh, an idea, you know, or validated something that you've been working on. And you put your, your whole life on hold. You put blood, sweat, and tears into it. You know, there's a lot of people that um, continued maybe working at Google, have paid off mortgages. You're, you, you, you're on good money at Google. Like, I, mm. I don't have... I don't have a penny to my name, you know, so it's uh, you're just putting the money back in the business and that comes with its own kind of pressures because your pressures with, you know, I have two kids now, I've got a family, you've pressures to, to get security and buy, buy a home and do all that kind of stuff, which I haven't yet. So you're, you, you put that on hold. So that, um, I suppose that's kind of good at good and bad. But um, I think the biggest thing for, for me is that, the evolution in the business has been an evolution in my in my personality or personally learning and personally growing, you know, and you're just constantly evolving and growing, running your own business. And that's still the thing I find the most rewarding. And the amount of people I've met through the business, I could go to any country in the world and really meet either a, a client or a Google partner or someone someone that I know that that and, and you could have a, a discussion about work, which always leads to discussion about uh, personal lives and, and things like that. And that's very interesting, finding out about cultures and all of that kind of stuff. I suppose the, the bad really is, um, and I suppose it's not really that bad, but you have a big degree of responsibility. You know, we've 23 people on, on the payroll now, mm. which um, a lot of people have, have mortgages, have kids to support. And that's a big weight in the shoulder. So you have to just make sure that this started out for myself. And then we have over 
to put food on the table for their family. A lot of these are small to medium-sized publishers. So if we make a mistake or do anything wrong or our strategy is wrong, they, they suffer. So that's something I take very seriously and very um, work what, what drives me and continues to drive. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so speaking about publishing, obviously um, changing industry from sort of at, at the big end of publishing and I guess at the small boutique end of publishing. So working closely with publishers, helping them sort of do the best that they can, supporting them, being very close to that industry. What do you sort of see happening um, amongst publishers? You know, the ones who are succeeding, what are they doing? The ones who are maybe struggling, what are they missing out on? Or, or what's your overall sort of landscape at the moment like? Yeah, sure. I think the ones that succeed in are always the ones that, that, that keep the cost low and focus on the user. So really focusing on what the user actually wants, like looking into the, their analytics of, of traffic coming to the site, what are their bounce rates, what type of users they have, and, and really providing a good experience for them, whether that's a, a good content experience, content experience, it's also a good ad, ad experience, and diversify diversification you know if if they have um, some part of their revenue stream is is highly ad focused i'd say to publishers to maybe look into subscription focus also and um, try and diversify that and also geographically and platform focus as well you know especially in uh, we we've expanded quite a bit over the last six months and have a lot of publishers now in the us and, and europe but we also have a lot of publishers in Australia who have a lot of traffic over in the US, over in Europe. And it's all about that diversification into different markets as well, especially like America is such a, a incredible opportunity over there. The CPMs are very high. There's a, a high uh, penetration of people using smartphones, all, all that kind of stuff. It's very, really very lucrative over there. And, and then platform, the Technology is evolving to to app now and, and providing a good user experience on app. So that's my general thing with with uh, publishers is just stay stay evolving. Relying on any one thing is obviously the risk and the downfall. It's a one uh, revenue source, one market, one platform. So anyone who's relying on that one, any disruption, you know, planned, unplanned, predictable, unpredictable, sort of will knock that over. But if they've got multiple streams of revenue, multiple markets, multiple distribution channels, they're a lot more able to sort of maximise the opportunities but also not be vulnerable to, to a shift in the industry. Exactly, yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I always say to keep people is keep the cost low. You know, like there has been a lot of, you know, direct advertising and, and hiring. A publisher predominantly has hired a lot of salespeople and direct salespeople who have a, a big salaries that, you know, often don't, don't yield the results. So I think you just have to keep the cost low and look at your return on investment, you know, especially as a small business and not um, thinking too, too crazily or, or having plans well thought out anyway and especially in the publishing environment I, I just always go back to focus on your traffic focus on in, in increasing increasing that side of things rather than than bank on something that may not come off all right so, so you've uh, worked in europe you've worked in the us now you're running a, a business in australia with clients all over the world so looking at entrepreneurship across those different geographies what are australian entrepreneurs doing well and where do you think there's room for improvement yeah i think look australia is a great market to test 
and it's a great market to to try out stuff and be, because it's got that english speaking market and it's got you know the the opportunity to to grow into the us or, or or europe and it's a testing market here i think a lot of tech startups in the us come over to the australia and do some testing here before launching it in in the us actually and i think atlantison are the, are the biggest examples of of doing that from an australian perspective i do think you know it it, it is uh, from what I understand, it's it's hard to get funding in in, in Australia. It's not something that, that we've done here ourselves, but it, it is maybe that. I do find that like coming from from Europe, Australia is very entrepreneurial in in the amount of people that you know have the amount of chippies that have their own businesses and the amount of you know people that invested in housing portfolios, all of that kind of stuff. I suppose the tech scene is is not as it advanced i suppose that's a few different areas reasons because of that it's probably because the economy has done so well over the last 30 years until now i suppose the, this global recession but and the mining boom you know just people have a lot of money here and there's not that much and they make money by buying houses and, and riding on that wave rather than doing real entrepreneurship i would say so i would say in Australia, people have it a bit cushy here, and I think the in, in America, it's it's all about that capitalistic mindset. So you're going to have everyone is thinking of what, how they can be involved in a unicorn business, how they can make incredible wealth from from doing something like that. And you you obviously have the available cash and and and, and equity to be able to get that over there. I think in in terms of where I come from and can just comment about Ireland. Ireland has has changed and evolved as we talked about earlier in the conversation. I think it was predominantly an area where if you got a job, you you keep it, and I think that's because of of our history and and not much economic growth until the the early mid nineties. But it, it's changed a bit from that, and I think the advantage of having a lot of the tech businesses in Ireland, like Google, like Facebook, like IBM, is the spin-off of that is that there's a lot of people that have started businesses in, in Ireland and um, are being more entrepreneurial now, um, which is is advantageous for, for, for that economy and access to, to Europe as well. It's a English-speaking country with, um, and also there's a lot of spin-offs that, that come from America and with Brexit as well, the, the problem distribute more into Ireland. Yeah, and as you mentioned, like in Australia, quite a lot of sort of self-employment, investment activity. So people have a small business, maybe they're self-employed, maybe they're a contractor, maybe they have some investment properties, but less in people looking to build a, you know, a large or more scalable sort of company or especially like, I guess, a tech company. Some might have a, a law firm with 20 lawyers, but they don't want to necessarily build, like you said, those billion dollar sort of tech focused um, businesses as they might in the US. And I think that's a lifestyle thing as well. I think it's a good thing in, in lots of ways. You know, people in Australia, the first thing that I notice when I come here is that people like to finish work at one o'clock on a Friday and have a beer and have a barbecue and, and chill out, you know, and I think that's great. I think that's what is awesome about Australia. And it, it doesn't need to be sometimes that you build this big unicorn business. Um, I, I just think in America, maybe they have more drive to do that. And, yeah, it's it's about people's preference, I think. So I, I I don't think it's a bad thing that 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 is not there that much in 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 Australia. But it's 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 probably a personality thing and what people have been brought up doing and thinking.
Yeah, and, and I guess you're right because Australia will never sort of out America, America, right? Like we're not going to, in a sense, compete with such a big market, so much capital, all the existing business infrastructure um, and sort of um, investment already around it. So you're right, maybe there's a, a path for Australia as that sort of lifestyle destination that attracts people that want that lifestyle with, you know, a high standard of living and, and opportunities, but not that sort of as much push on creating those, those you know, massive outlier successes, whereas the US is sort of willing to tolerate maybe, you know, more inequality, harder life for, for the sort of average person, but more unrestricted opportunity for sort of runaway success and, and sort of also less of a sort of cushion, I guess, to protect against failure as well. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And But I think it's just the the environment as as well to just see that, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing that it's not a good thing for an economy as well that there's 21, 22 year olds having an investment portfolio of houses. You know, that's not adding much value to, to an economy. I think what I would like to see in Australia is more of those younger people taking a crack at a startup. And it doesn't necessarily mean that it uh, needs to be unicorn business. It can be that 20 person business but if if i if i look at my own journey and we've, we've created a lot of jobs for young people especially and, and we're hiring at the moment as well we, we've hired i think three people in the last couple of weeks so that that's creating real value to to an economy and that's probably one of the proudest things i am about the business and i i would love if there was more australians maybe doing that and taking a crack because it is like i have to say it is very good from the government they do gives you some great grants the the research and development grant is is great and they give you some and uh, it's very easy to start a business here it's it's so easy to to do all that kind of stuff so and um, yeah i i think probably now it's probably really good and I've, I've said this for a while that a recession in australia is probably really needed uh, because i do think um there's just too much wealth creation here and, and it's too easy to like the, the standard of living here is very high especially maybe in metropolitan areas i'm not too sure about regional areas but it, sometimes a recession can yield really good thought leaders and and some ideas because people maybe are out of work and then they, they have a problem and they want to fix it and then they start something from there and i think it's 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 a good time to start a business yeah, no, definitely, you know, whenever there's change, there's opportunities, whereas when something's working, people think, well, why change? You know, if they're in a good job, they've got good money, they're in, investing in things and doing well, it's like, well, why would I stop and try something else? But if some of that goes down, I think, well, now's the, what better time than now to, to try something different when everything's a little bit sort of topsy-turvy? Exactly, yeah, exactly. And I think hopefully the governments are going to invest a lot in giving people money like that, you know, or giving people an opportunity, incubators or all, all, all that kind of stuff to, to give them the power and invest in, in kind of training for young people because that's who are really suffering probably from um, COVID at the moment that they just can't get jobs or can't get opportunity um, anywhere. So, yeah. Yeah, which is a good sort of segue to the next point. You know, what advice would you give, you know, an 18 to 20-year-old today? Like you say, you've been the big corporate, you've been overseas, you mentioned obviously a lot of young people are potentially not as interested in starting businesses or not as many are doing that. Looking back at your experience and all these different um, roles and, and geographies you've been in, what sort of advice would you give someone today in the current circumstances who's 20 and a bit unsure what to do? Yeah, I, I would always stay with 
a startup business and try to get experience there. I think I all, I go back to the story a lot of the time is is when I was working at Google and often you can be wrapped up in, in cotton wool and being in a big corporate environment in, in that you, you just get so much done for you that you don't have to think on your feet as much. And I remember there was a this guy in America that came in from a startup and he was working with us a couple of weeks and I was just like, wow, this guy's work ethic is incredible. He's able to do everything, but he had worked for a startup for two or three years. And I still notice that in our business and anyone we kind of hire, we always kind of say to them, look, if you want the training ground for how to run a business, you're going to learn so much here. And that's what a lot of people that we've had for a couple of years now are developing into really good leaders because they just have to do the grunt work at the start, the difficult work, but they, you have to adapt, you have to be changeable, you have to wear a lot of different hats in an organization and you just get to see how real business is actually run. So my advice for any young person is in this environment is any way you can start working with a startup. Even if it's an internship, prove yourself because the, the, the grounding you will get is absolutely incredible compared to like if I was looking back at my career again, I would definitely go um, a startup rather than working at, at Google because the transition it took me was, was very, very hard to, to get into working into that startup environment where you had to build decks for yourself. You didn't have a brand name behind you. That's very, very difficult, but it's really character building, I would say. Yeah. And so you mentioned obviously that sort of where you felt at a low confidence point, you've gone from Google and then you sort of stepped out of the bubble into a startup, it didn't work. And then you've, started your own one now. Um, do you think a lot of other people leave, you know, Google, Facebook, obviously Twitter, you know, these big Netflix, Uber, whatever big sort of tech companies and they go out into a startup and they have that confidence but they don't rebound because it's sort of too much of a shock without all of that sort of yeah. support? Yeah, and we've experienced it firsthand. We've hired people like that, you know. We've hired people that couldn't make the transition and uh, it's, it, it's unfortunate and I think I've, had a lot of my friends maybe at Google that have done the same kind of thing and, and, and gone back uh, because they just couldn't cope and, and couldn't actually uh, survive in an environment where you had to roll up your sleeves. And it's not saying that they're, you know, um, people that just can't work as hard. It's just very different from going over. It's like changing from Android to iPhone. You know, it's very difficult. <laughs> you know, you're just used to something. Uh, so... I would say that it's definitely something that, that people struggle with. And it's probably a reason that people stay so long in uh, Google, Facebook, these kind of businesses, because they mightn't be able to, to cope anywhere else. And you'll see a lot of people just go between all of those big companies. You know, I remember when I was at Google and when Facebook came along, everyone was moving to Facebook because they were offering more money. Mm. And then when LinkedIn came on, uh, they were going to LinkedIn. And now you see a lot of people are going to TikTok from Facebook and Google, you know. So it's the same kind of thing that even though I think people going to TikTok are in for a, a rude awakening in the, the work ethic there, maybe. Yeah. And so what was the sort of the biggest skill, do you think, or um, something you did, something you had, something you learned that helped for you to make that transition? Was it just being at rock bottom and sort of figuring out I've got to make it work? Was it 
Um, like you said, you're always sort of questioning authority a bit. Maybe some of the other people are a bit more just kind of going along with it in, in a big corporate. And then when they have to be responsible, make decisions in a smaller, more accountable environment, they struggle. Or is there a common theme, you think, between the ones who can step out and sort of succeed versus ones who step out and then it's too hard and they sort of go back into that big corporate environment that comes forward? Yeah, I suppose from my, from my own experience, it, when you when you go out and start a business yourself, it always goes back to that desire and that problem you're trying to solve. So if, if there is a specific thing you're really annoyed about or pissed off about, well, that's going to be the driving force. And maybe people that, like I started the business, so it was okay, but maybe people that get hired into a, a startup haven't got that same desire because they're not, they're just, like coming into the business they're not uh, isolating the problem and trying to fix it so that is kind of hard to set them up for success but it's 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 a difficult one based on personalities because you have different personalities that will um, be able to work in those environments but there there has to be i think again from from me i was maybe standing up to stuff at google or saying oh i don't think that works i don't think but i couldn't maybe make the changes i wanted to do so if you're in corporate and you're kind of getting really annoyed and different stuff but but you're willing to go out and maybe change something uh well maybe that can work but yeah i think it's very difficult Derek. to be honest i think it's very based on each personality and so because of that, I guess, do you focus on hiring people more who have worked in startups or, you know, fast growing sort of smaller businesses or done something on their own versus people who have come from those big companies with that experience of people in your personal journey and realising some people kind of can't make that leap between the two worlds? Yes, I would say that. Yeah, I think it's definitely, it's, it's, it's definitely something that, that we look to uh, look at and just go, right, well, they've experienced doing that, they've they've come and done it before from that environment because we've hired people from the, the other course and it hasn't worked. Hmm. And, and so um, going back to, to your company, the Publift, um, what does the future look like? What's your vision for the next five to 10 years? You know, goals, strategies, direction? Yeah, I think, look, we're, we're growing quite rapidly at the moment. Um, we, myself and Tobin have built the business pretty well, but we haven't really put a lot of process and structure in, in place. So. At the moment, we're, we're working a lot on that and getting the, the, the structure and process worked out. And we've, we've, we've hired a new head of operations and we've um, working with another consultant that's kind of helping us do that and changing the mindset of the team. The culture is very good in the team, but we just need a bit of a shift into mindset and more accountability within everyone and a bit more efficiency that will help us deliver more results to, to clients. So I don't have any big aspirational goals, really, to be honest with you. I just want to continue offering a really good service to, to clients and at the end of the day that's why I, I, I run in the business because we think we can make a, a difference to, to people's lives and and that's both from a client perspective but also from the team you know I'm really passionate about growing our team and and giving them right ammunition to have a good life and, and create wealth in their life but also create a, a good personal journey you know create I often go back to this kind of craftsmanship, you know, if you're a, a chippy or something like that and you're, you're doing a, a lovely piece of furniture and you're enjoying doing it because it, it comes out really nice and you look at that, it's like the same thing in, in what we're doing in a business. You know, you, if we're 
improving your product or improving the efficiency of a process. There has to be craftsmanship to it. Yeah, so I like that perspective you had of the craftsman, the uh, artisan, and, and sort of that as the nature of a startup versus, you know, obviously a big corporate perhaps is a bit more like a production line, you know, mass producing something and, and sort of being a smaller part of it versus really crafting something unique. So do you have any final um, words, thoughts, comments you'd like to leave the audience with? Uh, yeah, sure. I, I think uh, I think everyone can get. Uh, I myself have this, made this mistake of looking at the like setting goals and aspirationals and, and having you know you want to make uh, twenty million dollars or do something like that. You know, but what worked for me is just focusing on the journey and focusing on enjoying it and as much as I can and enjoying the, the the wins and you know the wins are never as big as they make out to be and the losses are never as great as they appear to be so uh, I just am thankful for having this type of business and that I really love it so my advice to anyone is just um, yeah if you've got a good idea or got a problem that you want to fix just go and have a crack and and, and enjoy it excellent words Colin thanks so much for coming on the podcast all good Derek lovely to be here Take care. Have a nice day. Thank you for listening to the Future of Australia podcast. If you liked the episode, please subscribe and leave a review in iTunes. To learn more about the Future of Australia project, check out futureofaustralia.com. To reach out to Derek directly, you can email derek at futureofaustralia.com. That's D-E-R-E-K at futureofaustralia.com.